everyone. Welcome back to the Earth Dawn Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters with your questers, Josh and Dan. I am Dan. I am Josh. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things quizzical, epilogical, and conspiratorial, because we're going to wrap up a couple things here with the weaponsmith, Nax, because we wanted to get to that last time, didn't we get to that last time, answer an email question, and talk about the force of the eye. So, busy podcast yes. today. If you have any busy, questions busy. for us, please email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. So, we got an email first. Josh, what did we get? Before I get to the email, I want to apologize if in some way my quality is off. I am dealing with seasonal garbage, uh, which has me <laughs> congested and mildly logy. So anyway, gotcha. we will push that through best as we can, and I will do my best to edit out my sniffs and snarls and general gunkiness. Hey, I've had a, a lingering cough ever since I had COVID two months ago. So I'm with you every once in a while. Got to reach back cough. And I've tried to edit most of those out for the listeners as well. So uh, we got an email from Nick, Nick Lowe, Nick. who worked on the Vasgothia book. Oh, cool. And this is an email that was prompted in part by our discussion of Naaman's hand. And I actually need to clarify something. Uh, you asked... When we were talking about Naaman's hand and I was talking about the Vasgothia connection, if there was anything in the Vasgothia book about that, <laughs> um, I could be mistaken. I have not actually read read the book. I just don't sure. remember there being any headings as I was doing the preliminary layout that was specifically gotcha. addressing Naaman's hand. So it is possible that Nick might have a connection in there because Nick clearly knows, based on this email, writing. more about Naaman's hand than uh, I did. <laughs> anyway. Love it. Nick writes, hey, Josh and Dan, I really enjoyed the last podcast about Naaman's Hand. They are my favorite cult in the Secret Societies book. <laughs> this isn't so much a question as an additional tidbit of information. In the Parlanth boxed set, there is a mention of two elven brothers called Vili and V, uh, V-I-L-I and V-E, who emerge from the ruins claiming to be the brothers of an unknown passion. And that their oh, wow. names, Vili and V, are not their original names, but the names of this passion's brothers. It is said that they then gather up some followers and head for a land northwest of Iopos, which would place them somewhere close to Vasgothia. Additionally, if you know your Germanic mythology, mm -hmm. Vili and V are the brothers of Odin, chieftain of the gods. The fact that this Vili and Ve are brothers, like the two elves who collectively make up Naaman Yaras, and that both sets of brothers have a connection to Vasgothia, makes me think that there is something going on here. Yeah. There is also the fact that they both seem to have undergone some form of renaming magic, which we know is a part of Vasgothia's strange forest magic. Hmm. I guess I have a question. Is Josh aware <laughs> of any intentional connection here? And what are my thoughts on this possible link? Thanks a lot. I love listening to the podcast. Nick. Love it, Nick. I am not aware of any intentional connection there. I was not even aware of this thing that you described, uh, which I think is really cool and a possible connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's a possible Naaman link. I don't know whether the story from the Parlanth book, which came out before the Secret Society's book kind of mm -hmm. revealed the, the bigger secret about Naaman Yaros being two people. Yeah. And I don't know whether there was 
uh, some parallel development or whether something was written as a, an idea. I have no idea. I think it's cool. I appreciate the email. I like the little details like that that you can find. I love the in-depth digging on that. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. Uh, I would, since Lou answered our last question from last episode, if Lou has any insight, this would be where to share it, Lou. Yeah, on the uh, Facebook in Earth the, on the Guild Earth on Guild on Facebook, Lou did sort of respond to my question in the Name and Euros episode, saying that there were not any specific plans that he could recall about them being involved in anything in particular, and then talked a little bit about how things in source books needed to, especially late in the line like that, there were three goals, and each of them in the Secret Society's book was trying to serve at least two of them. Yeah. That being one, just something cool for for GMs mm-hmm. to use in their games to laying groundwork for potential future stuff and three, like actually the continued development. Yeah. Um, there wasn't anything specific with regards to name in your ass, but that, you know, books like secret societies were just kind of throwing a whole bunch of stuff out there and maybe some of it would stick around to be developed in the future, which I think is cool. Fair. I, comic books do that every once in a while. And I appreciate that. So, Good stuff. Nick, thank you for the deep, deep dive. Um, thank you. That is fantastic. Um, nonfiction merging with ancient legend fiction. Odin and the two. Uh, yeah, just that's just cool stuff. If you did not back the Vasgothia Kickstarter to get access to the book. Shame on you. As soon as we have the pre-release mm-hmm. available, um, yeah. I think we'll probably be putting the pre-sale the pre-order up on the website or something. That's how we've done it in the past. But keep an eye out uh, once we have the book available. Definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah. Because Nick's Looking a great guy and, and did good work on that. Looking forward to it. Uh, next up, we have the Nax we needed to cover for the specific forge armor and forge weapon because those were some pretty heavy-duty Nax. Well, yeah, as, as we were wrapping up the Weaponsmith episode the other night... It occurred to me, like, as we were wrapping up, that it would have made sense to address a couple of the knacks that are available for Weaponsmith in the Companion. The reason for that being is that I had talked about how Weaponsmith is a discipline that is built pretty heavily around the idea of downtime and to get the most out of the discipline in some regards, your game master needs to allow you time to do the stuff that you have abilities in order to yeah. use them. Forge weapon, forge armor in in particular, as the ones that you want to use. I understand as well that some people are not necessarily thrilled by the idea of how much downtime the weaponsmith requires in order to do everything that they want to do, which tends to result in other members of the group sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for the weaponsmith (laughs) to finish what they're doing. Yeah. There are two knacks available each for forge armor and forge weapon, uh, and they are more or less the same, just related to the particular talents. They are efficient forging, Efficient armor forging or efficient weapon forging. And what that allows the weaponsmith to do is to be able to simultaneously work on a number of pieces equal to their rank in the appropriate talent. 
So with efficient weapon forging, it's available at rank five. And if you get it at rank five, it would allow you to simultaneously work on up to five weapons during the one week period that the talent requires. Yeah. So that can speed up your downtime where you don't have to take five weeks to forge the weapons of all of your fellow party members. You can Mm -hmm. do all five in one week. Yeah. A little downtime, but not as much. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't cost any extra strain and each test is made separately. It's just basically a knack that allows you to kind of stack things to speed up the process. The other knack, again, available both for armor and weapon, hmm. is rapid forging. This is technically a special maneuver, and what it allows the smith to do is spend extra successes from the forge test to reduce the amount of time required by one day per success spent. It cannot be used in conjunction with efficient forging. So you can't do multiple weapons and then get the extra successes to cut down the the time on them. Yeah. And it does mean that you ultimately kind of, because you need to spend the successes from that to reduce the time rather than increasing the bonus, you don't end up with as high a damage bonus on the items as you otherwise would. But it is another thing that if you have a high rank in the appropriate forging skill, that it could also potentially speed up the amount of time that you are spending on such things. Yeah. So I did want to mention both of those because they play specifically with the concerns that people some people have with regards to how much time it takes for the weaponsmith to do everything they want to do no i like both of those and would immediately pick those up upon uh first ability to do so to speed things up i don't know that i would personally pick up rapid forging because i want to use i would want to use the extra successes to increase the effect as much as i could but the efficient forging having both of them actually is probably good i think efficient forging is better in in its way i mean you still are making separate tests against each weapon so the or armor piece so you might get mixed results out of that but it allows you to get through the stuff for your adventuring group a lot more quickly than would otherwise be the case i agree that's either one sorry both are beneficial just in different circumstances so Pick up both because you never know what your circumstances might change to, have, to make you need one more right. than the other. But yeah, I mean, if you're only working on one item, then you might as well use rapid forging if you have it and you're yeah. going to be rolling well enough, whatever. Yeah. So either way, good stuff, uh, no matter what. So we've covered our email that we got. Thank you, Nick. We've covered our knacks for the weapon smith as a little epilogue from the last episode. So let's move on to the uh, all things conspiratorial and talk about the massive influence that is the force of the eye yeah now we're getting into one of the big groups here (laughs) that is included in the secret societies book this is a very tangled web uh i was explaining this to my wife who does not play uh role-playing games but she was curious what i was studying for and so i had to go through the whole story about the foundation of kratos and garlthic rising to power a little bit and then the the force of the eye and then everything else that goes into that. So uh, the essay, by the way, in Secret Societies of Save, very good essay. And at the beginning, it says, if you don't understand Kratos, you don't understand the force of the eye. 
So we need to go a little bit into the back history and how Kratos was actually formed. It was a care slash citadel that was breached during the scourge and everybody died ravaged. Yeah. Ravaged. Just, yeah, nobody survived. But after the scourge was over, uh, since the horrors don't care about treasure and gold and jewels and whatnot, uh, everything was left. And so there was this site that all of a sudden people figured out, Oh, we can go ransack this. This is treasure to be found. And so all the thieves moved in and stayed. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a little bit overly simplistic. I mean, it is. Horrors don't necessarily care about treasure as treasure, but they really like it as a way to lure oh, yeah. future victims in to, to come to them. Dangle the worm. Yes. And it's not necessarily so much that the thieves moved in because of the treasure. That makes Kratos a little bit too similar to Parlanth in that yeah. way. It's more that Kratos served as a useful base of operations for raiders and thieves and bandits to operate out of in terms of its relative geographic location within Barsafe, because it is kind of centrally yeah. located. Yeah, it's great location. And as a devastated city with nobody left around, there is no law, but there is infrastructure. There are buildings yes. and stuff like that, which and makes it a handy place to, to hide out, especially yeah. where it's a city. And if there aren't a lot of people there, it's easy to hide out and tough, perhaps, for folks going in after you to find you if you know mm-hmm. the terrain and they don't. But yeah, it for a while was this just kind of lawless hive of scum and villainy <laughs> to borrow a phrase never heard that before. where a bunch of thieves and bandits and whatnot all just kind of hung out and did their business out of and mm-hmm. that business sometimes involved black marketeering and fencing and whatnot yeah the moving and buying and shifting of stolen and acquired goods so yes and if you are interested much of the history of kratos is described in the third edition Kratos source book. But that's another show. Which is another show, but <laughs> that is a, a book to to pick up available yes. in PDF either from fastagames.com or drive through RPG. Both are good. It is tough to find print copies because third edition books did have somewhat of a limited print run. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so that that's sort of the origins of Kratos as the city of thieves. And then Garlthick arrived. Yeah, and kind of took over. He saw what the the structure was that was there, and this all happened at about the same time that Thera decided to take on Thrall in the first Theron War. So Garlthic came to power providing spies to Thrall during the first Theron War. So that's how he kind of developed his network, and he just started loaning out thieves and warriors and whatnot. Uh, But Garlthick is a crafty, crafty one. He didn't just do that out of the goodness of his heart. He knew he could leverage that later and did so. Um, Because Kratos was barely better than an abandoned ruin. He just, yeah, kind of took over, made the power structure work. And after the war, uh, Thrall kind of severed ties with Kratos real quick. But other than that, he kept the force of the eye going and developed this large criminal gang of more than a thousand people, some uh, adepts, some non-adepts, mostly non-adepts, but it works as both a goods acquisition service, thieving, and uh, law, kind of, pseudo-law <laughs> enforcement, and quasi-governmental agency. 
that he can skim off the top of the legal stuff and then uh, punish other criminal gangs, air quotes, in the area. So he gets to just maintain all this power structure that he's got. So he's got it coming and going all three ways. Yeah. I think we've talked about Garlthick a little bit in the past in terms of his temperament. Garlthick is the quintessential selfish thief. His magic is powered by him looking out for number one, that number one being himself. Yeah. And it gets addressed, I think, in the Kratos book a little bit. And maybe in in the essay, I don't remember specifically. I have not reread it in depth in a while. In order to continue to maintain his thiefly abilities, Garlthick has to walk this fine line of taking care of the city, but justifying it within the terms of his own paradigm of the world Mm -hmm. that I am just me and can only trust myself and the things that I am doing are for my benefit. And so ends up with a kind of corrupt, (laughs) organized crime syndicate that he is in charge of. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, while he needs to care about the welfare of the city in terms of I need to eat, we need to feed people, and we can't do that effectively if nobody comes to the city to sell us food. Yeah. So he needs to, like, do things that kind of promote the greater social good, in a sense. He needs to govern. <laughs> yeah, he, he needs to govern, but he doesn't like to govern. He no. doesn't necessarily like to be in charge, but he kind of is. Mm-hmm. And the force of the eye is his gang. It's his enforcers, it's his collectors, it's his agents and spies and intelligence network that allow him to continue to be the premier thief, at least in Barsave, if not several lands beyond. Oh, no kidding. So he's got this massive network of, of agents for him. And as I said, it's kind of, he's kind of the, uh, uh, the quasi government and you know pseudo law enforcement that all do his bidding, and he can therefore, as I said, prosecute the rival gang members, but maintain the black market that he's in charge of, and still skim from the legit businesses off the top. So he's got thieving in all three ways. Uh- <laughs> and by prosecute, what we mean is have his guys go and beat up their guys. Yes, and maybe even worse sometimes, maybe even worse. But he's got you know. Around 200, the, the essay reveals, you know, around 250 or so oper- operatives outside of Kratos that are in the acquisition game for him. Uh, and of course, the waylaying of other opponents and opposition. So he gets the good stuff, the best stuff, and it's all in the black market that he gets to control. So those are operating outside of Kratos, uh, also directing the other thieves and acquiring the stolen goods and fencing them around and so forth and so on. So this is also a considerable intelligence network. Kind of like the Path of the Messengers we talked about a few episodes ago. So now there's two information-gathering networks that are not necessarily mutually exclusive, because uh, he probably has a few messengers under his employee as well, because Garth, like, as I said, is a crafty one. Uh, but yes, he does get... He created and controls the black market. He gets a cut from each transaction. There are entry fees into the city and other parts of the city. They collect, air quotes, taxes. Uh, so he does all this governing, but under the guise of he's really stealing when he doesn't need to be stealing. Because who charges an entry fee to a city? Who does Lots that? of places, actually. <laughs> so. Trevard does. Yeah, Trevard does. It's the one silver piece to get in. It's not uh, that actually uncommon a practice. Not only 
in bar save, but historically. Yeah. So he's got all this going on, but he does have a rival gang in there as well, which is not quite as big a force. This is what the essay revealed is the, the Therans at least were able to figure out there's a rival gang there run by somebody we've talked about before. And this is uh, Brocher's Brood run by Vistrosh, the Vistrosh. exiled blood warder from the Bloodwood. Even though he's not really exiled, he's still working for the queen. Uh, this is something that the Therans didn't notice in their essay, but it is there. But Brocher's Brood is basically a group of assassins and nethermancers, but that's another show. We're going to get to that one. So not only is the Force of the Eye all throughout Kratos, Brocher's Brood is the rival under, uh, upstarts in Kratos as well, but Vistrosh is running the Brocher's Brood and... The other secret society we've already covered, the Songbirds. So there's a whole lot of political and power dynamic going on in just Kratos alone. So if you're going to take your adventurers to this city, you got to be aware of like all three of those big movers and shakers at the very least. It's probably more. Yeah. But the Kratos source book's another show. So yeah, this is huge. And by the way, the Songbirds was episode 105 of this podcast. So if you want to make a quick trip and not have to worry about finding it, there it was for you. Thoughts on all of this so far, Josh? No, it's it's all good. One of the things that is sort of key to understanding the force of the eye is understanding Garlthick. And we kind of already talked about that a, a little bit. bit. Yeah. yeah. In a sense, the society that Garlthick has built and promoted amongst this group of thieves and cutthroats and smugglers and everybody that lives in Kratos, even if they aren't members of the Force of the Eye, he's set up a, a racket. A scam isn't quite the right word because it is completely legitimate, but he yeah. has set up a racket by which he is able to essentially take money in a way legitimately yeah. from everybody mm -hmm. to make himself wealthy, but within the framework of it being... I'm the biggest, baddest thief here with the biggest, baddest gang. And so we are going to take what we want. And what we want is for you to just continue to pay us regularly and to keep things peaceful enough so that we don't draw attention from powers and people who have the ability to come in here and wreck everybody's day. Mm -hmm. Entirely. Yeah. <laughs> The people who come here and do business with us are aware of who they are doing business with, but there needs to be a certain level of trust, and that trust is obtained by being very upfront about what the cost of everything is, in a way. Yeah, because if you're not paying in silver, you're going to pay in favors, because yeah. Garlthick is, is going to ask you for favors or information, because he can use both, he can leverage both eventually, and he will do so. If he doesn't already have the information, one of yeah. the details that's sort of revealed in the story here, because the Theron agents who are compiling this report are investigating a murder or investigating mm -hmm. somebody's death. Yeah. They meet with Garlthick and he is at first very kind of charming and like, oh, you're you're here about a crime. Well, you've definitely come to the right place. <laughs> the crime happens all the time. It is very clear within moments, you know, the agent says he already knows exactly why we're here and what we're after and what we're looking for. He just wants us to tell him, tell him. Yeah, he already knows all of this. He is aware. Yeah. 
He just, he just wants to see what kind of information you're going to give him so he knows how to play it. But it is an interesting... Uh, so basically, Garlthic, by the way, goes all the way back to the first novel, The Longing Ring. Yes. And his understudy, Jerol, and I think they uh, met up again, later in Poisoned Memories, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Correct briefly. Yeah. Possibly. So Garlthic is one of those long lasting characters who goes way back to not even first, ed- first edition, but yeah, first edition novel. Like really the beginning. To- yeah. Yeah. And Garlthic is old. For an orc, he is old. Just going to say that because most orcs live, you know, life expectancy is one thing, but uh, uh, if they live to old age, it's 35 or 40, 45 at best and under great conditions. Into their 40s is kind of old traditionally for orcs and Garlthic is well beyond digits. that, even if you just take when he was operating, if he was around during the discovery of Parlanth mm-hmm. and was an adult at that point. Yeah. He has been around for quite some time and nobody is exactly sure how he maintains his life. Uh, legends say that each night he sneaks into death's domain and steals another day. Um, mm-hmm. which is all too appropriate for perhaps the world's only 15th circle thief, or at least bar saves only 15th circle thief. Yeah. Cause if, if there is one, if, it, if, if he was going to be 16th circle, I'd even give him that. Cause <laughs> if there is a 15th circle thief anywhere in bar save, Garlthic almost certainly is it fills the bill. Um, totally. the only other person who potentially challenges him, it says in the essay, uh, in that regard is Jerol, his former pupil. Yes. And Jerol actually runs his own um, secret society of Bar Save, the Eye of But that's Thrall. another show. But that's another show. Well, look at that. We've te- already teased like four other shows in this one episode. <laughs> we got stuff to talk about still. We're good. Anyway, um, but yeah, the force itself, the force of the Eye is, is, like I said, over a thousand members or so. And first and foremost, there's Garlthic at the top. He runs the show, but he does have a right-hand woman in Teresia. A ninth, maybe even tenth circle by now, because we've moved the timeline forward in fourth edition. Um, tenth circle thief, who is violent, vicious, loyal, and really good at what she does. Yes. Teresia is another one of those great characters that held over from first edition that you just don't want to touch, don't want to mess with, don't want to read yeah, the story on. She is very closely tied to Garlthic for reasons that are never made clear, but is incredibly loyal. Uh, murderously loyal to yes. Garlthic and is the blade that gets wielded when Garlthic needs to cut something out. Yeah. He is not a fighter. Um, he can fight, but he's not a fighter. He is not the, the type to necessarily go and get his hands personally dirty. No. But he has no problem sending Teresia or any number of his other uh, enforcers to go out and make his displeasure over something known. Yeah. And he's got, like I said, he's got this small army of a thousand or so. <clears throat> Any one of them can take care of things, but if he really needs to put the hammer down, Teresia is the one to show up because you know you've done wrong. Because, <laughs> uh, as Josh said, murderously loyal. And I like that phrase. Um, the rest of the force, however, is mostly thief, uh, is armed with thief and warrior skills if they're not adepts at all. If they are adepts, about 10 to 20% of them the essay surmises, the Theron surmise, uh, are uh, at least second circle, mostly thieves and warriors, but the uh, higher ranks are, are fifth circle and above. 
And most of those, uh, the rest of those actually, are illusionists, troubadours, scouts, swordmasters, and various other things. You're not going to find a lot of air, raider, air sailors and sky raiders because Kratos does not allow a lot of airship traffic. The one thing his massive network is not going to do is try and acquire things away from the troll moots and the sky raiders because he's like, that's competition I don't need. He's a crafty one. He knows where his bread is buttered and he knows what he can and should not be doing because yeah. Garl Thick Garl no did not get to be where he is <laughs> by making for as decisions. long as he has been where he is without knowing how to survive. Yes. And uh, so what is the fourth? So just we, so we can refresh people's memory. What is the fourth edition update on the whereabouts at the moment of Garl Thick in the force of the eye? Well, that depends. This is a nice story. <laughs> there are sort of two answers to that. It depends on whether you're talking pre or post Empty Thrones. We have time for both. Pre Empty Thrones. So this is sort of mm -hmm. from the release of the fourth edition player's guide up to Empty Thrones. The situation with Garlthic and the Force of the Eye and his position in Kratos is much the same. He continues to be in charge of the city, continues to run his rackets, continues to gather his information and, and do what he does. Yeah. One of the storylines in Empty Thrones, spoilers for Empty Thrones, so skip ahead or whatever if you uh, do not want to be spoiled, but one of the plot lines in that book involves an attempt by the Denerastus to unseat Garlthic, to cause problems to him, to generally wreck his day. Because mm -hmm. Kratos is, geographically speaking, a relatively close location to Iopos. Mm -hmm. Garlthic is also notoriously not one to be inclined to uh, work with the Denerastus or be favorably inclined towards them in any way. And so one of the storylines basically involves a plot by the Denerastus to cause turmoil and upheaval, uh, not in Kratos specifically, but in Daichi, mm -hmm. the sort of port town that is near there. Yes. And the problems that develop there, which ultimately, in the sort of official storyline, result in Garlthic deciding, again, knowing as he is, knowing when to stop the scam and to get out of town with his mm -hmm. hide, does so. And so the changes that happen as a result of Empty Thrones is that Garlthick himself and many of his senior folks have abandoned Kratos. Ooh. We have not really described in very much depth what the aftermath of that is, but it is sure to be unpleasant for many <laughs> of the folks involved there without his guiding hand. Um, and part of the reason is that with the Empty Thrones storylines, generally, we wanted to do things that would be kind of dramatic in terms of Denerastus plots, but have some of them succeed and, and some of them fail, you know, just to show that sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. And that while it is possible for some aspects of the Denerastus plot to fail, the, the player characters who are involved can prevent certain things from coming to pass... In the end, Garlthick has to be true to his 
worldview. He has mm-hmm. to be true to the magic. And that magic ultimately is when things get too dangerous for me, it is time for me to leave. Yeah. That basically, if he cared enough about the city to stay and fight for it, mm-hmm. he would lose the magic. Like, I yeah, think ultimately not, that that would be a betrayal of his philosophy as a thief. Yeah. Ultimately, he only continues to do what he does as long as he can justify it to himself as this is a scam that I am running. This is a, a racket calm. that I am running. And as long as it is safely making me tons and tons of money, that I am perfectly happy to continue running it. But as soon as things get dangerous, as soon as the heat comes on, I'm gone. Yeah. Girlthick is the ultimate confidence game runner. Yeah. And so this is a con game, which is a shortened version of confidence game. But he's a long, this is the long con. He's been, he's been the head of Kratos for a decade or more now. Yeah, he's been, he's been in charge of Kratos for quite a while. Yeah. We also didn't want to kill him. He is too great a character. He's too to just have him get character. <laughs> again, in part because he has been at this too long. Yeah. To not mm-hmm. know when it's time to leave. And yeah. so he is now sort of out in the wind again, mm-hmm. in a sense, which makes for potential wonderful opportunities for people who are playing sort of post empty thrones to yeah. have Garlthick show up sometimes for his own reasons. Mm-hmm. And the the force of the eye as it sort of exists prior to those events is largely dismantled at least in terms of how Garlthic is running. It would not surprise me if there is some attempt by some of his mid-level folks who are still around or whatnot to possibly keep running things or mm-hmm. to, to kind of keep the gang in operation. Yeah, somebody's got to fill the void. Yeah, but the the service that it provided to Garlthic is sort of ended in a, in a way – and I won't sort of get into more detail than that because it that kind of gets into more spoilers than I even want to really discuss. That's fine. Ultimately, it's a case of things didn't go particularly well. Garlthick decides it's time to leave. And so he leaves. And Teresia is almost certainly still with him. Yes. And he still has contacts across Barsave and possibly places beyond. But ultimately... In some ways, he might be happy again, sort of being back on the road and needing to rebuild things from the ground up in Mm -hmm. terms of his whatever. I'm sure he's got stashes of loot and whatnot in various places across the province. (laughs) He's got some safe. But I I think there's there would perhaps be a certain amount of nostalgia for him to be back on the road running scams and confidence games. The only trouble is, is that he is incredibly famous and recognizable mm-hmm. now in a way that he was not back in the early days when he was first initiating and, and training to roll and discovering par length and stuff like that. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh, I, I'm curious now because we haven't, we haven't talked about the force of the eye amulets and how those might change the dynamics in fourth edition to this new version where Garlthic, I can't say is on the run, but at least no longer in Kratos because the force of the eye amulets are this blood charm that Garlthic had with every single member who was wearing those amulets where he could see and hear through those like a little tiny body camera to know who was doing what, where they were, what was going on. So yes, now that he's, I can't say on the run, but he's now left Kratos. What do you speculate about that? I'm not going to speculate too much because that ties very heavily into what (laughs) happens in Empty Thrones. 
Gotcha. And that's that's the area like I don't want to stray too close to that because that really starts getting into like legitimate spoiler territory. That is fine. I figured if anybody yes, had a question they are, about they are that. very, very cool and they are key into the way that Garlthick has been able to keep control of things in Kratos for as long as he has. Yeah. But they also play <laughs> a not insignificant part in the events of that storyline in Empty Thrones. So I will say no more. Fair. I figure if anybody asked a question, because we hadn't talked about the, the amulets, they are a massive part of his network. And if you want further information, go get Empty Thrones and read along, everyone. Now that we've updated everybody on Kratos, Garlthick himself, his role in um, that network of the Force of the Eye, and it's somewhat dismantling, somewhat. It's in a, a bit of a state of disrepair at the moment. We've covered the rival uh, Brochers Brood gang. We've covered the other secret society of the songbirds involved in Kratos as well. This is kind of a jam-packed informational thing. What should people be doing now with the force of the eye running, if they're going to involve it in any way in their campaigns? Tacitly, deeply, take your pick. So there are a couple of different approaches depending on what era you are playing in. If you are playing in classic era, first edition timeline, up through and including Prelude to War, the Landing of the Triumph, and the detente tensions that are going on between Thera and Thrall leading up to the Second Theron War and you know, sort of into the, the fourth edition timeline of things, the Force of the Eye can sort of be a, a wild card in a sense. Mm-hmm. thick does recognize ultimately that defeating Thera is better for business for him in the long run. Thera would not allow Kratos to continue to operate the way that it has been if they were to to gain control of the province. But again, he also needs to justify everything within his worldview as being ultimately in his own best interest. Mm -hmm. So he is likely to act as a little bit of a wild card, a potential source of, I won't necessarily say double cross or betrayals, but is always ultimately looking to manipulate things to his own advantage, even if it is perhaps helping somebody else out as well. They would not be as helpful or as valuable as like a source of employment the way that, say, the Life Rock Rebellion would be the Life yeah. Rock Rebellion being a, a, another sort of information network that is much more dedicated to directly taking on the, the Therans during that era. But if you have a group that is a little bit more gray, is a little bit more thiefy and whatnot, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to have a game that is going to tie into Kratos or its Onderons in any notable way, uh, you need to figure out what the situation is and what their relationship is going to be with the force of the eye. Yeah. The other thing that you could do if you kind of go up through that storyline in Empty Thrones is exploring the aftermath of that, which won't necessarily involve Garlthick so much, because at that point he will have cut his losses and moved on, but perhaps exploring what could be done or what happens in Kratos in the wake of that and the gang wars and feuding that is almost inevitably going to happen as people try and end up taking the top spot or trying to take the top spot within Kratos and all of the rich 
profits that can be made from taking over Garlthic's racket, the likelihood that there really isn't anybody who is as good as Garlthic in running those things. <laughs> yeah. A lot of inspirations for those kinds of stories you could draw from crime dramas, both like the sort of classic mafia type stories. The Godfather. Or any kind of noir stories, anything mm -hmm. along those lines could re could serve as a source of inspiration for the kinds of conflicts and struggles that would be potentially going on uh, within the city in the aftermath of those events. Yeah, absolutely. So I figure that's more than enough information to get anybody started on the Force of the Eye, Carlthick himself, uh, the right hand Teresia, the entire network, the Force of the Eye amulets, maybe involving uh, Vistrosh and the Songbirds or the Brochers Brood. I mean, we this is a lot of information to throw at everybody in you know the hour that we're going to cover today's podcast in. So, if you have any questions for us on anything else we didn't cover in Garlthick's uh, network of deceit, um, please email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate every single email we get that furthers a discussion or brings up points we hadn't thought of before. They are all fantastic. So I can't think of anything else we missed because this is a ton of info. Yeah. On. This is sort of the biggest group that we have dealt with thus far in yeah. terms of its potential impact on things. But it is, again, possible to run a campaign or a game that doesn't intersect with them at all. Totally. You can ignore this at your, at, at your whim. You can ignore this. But unlike some of the others where if you're bringing them in, you are absolutely bringing in a certain storyline or a certain yeah. focus, you can bring the force of the eye in, again, sort of pre-Empty Thrones as a spoiler, as a third party if you can think of a way that Garlthic might be interested in what's going on, particularly if it is something that is going to potentially affect what happens to him and his interests in Kratos. So other than that, folks, as I said, get a hold of us if you want to hear more, or if you have any questions about something we did not cover, you know where to reach us. So until next time, uh, I suggest you go build the gang network for your legend. Good night, everybody. 